Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 77 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. I know we've been gone for a while, but we're back now. So sit down, get comfortable, and listen as I talk to the new general manager at the Denver JCC's Meisel Arts and Culture Center, Rich Cowden. This will be his second time on the podcast. We're going to talk about the importance of theater teaching, especially or more specifically with the youth. We'll see what types of games we can play. And of course, as always, with any member of the DAFL on my podcast, I'll have to bust his chops about his fantasy football prowess or lack thereof. Now, Dan, give us war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. Live now, ladies and gentlemen, ghosties at home. We've got Rich Cowden, the the general manager of Denver JCC's Meisel Arts and Culture Center, in the house tonight. Rich, What's how up? are you? I'm great, Sammy. How are you? Buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm glad Good. glad to be back. I taught here last week, and uh, yes, you did. As we're starting this new endeavor here, and I'll, I'll let me let me back up a little bit. As you're starting this new endeavor here, I was really excited about the opportunity to get you on and kind of talk about some of the things that you're doing. But before we do that, let's have a little Busker's Irish Whiskey, our unofficial sponsor today. Thank you, Busker. Thank you, Sam. Yes, Thanks, everybody. Slanta. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's nice. It's a little smoky. It's a little smoky. Yeah. But it's easy. So it's still, yeah, it's peaty. It's mm-hmm. smoky. It's, um, yeah, it's everything you could want. Absolutely. Especially, you know, at the end of a shift. Indeed. Yeah. Just do a nice little sip and start making dinner. Yeah. Or in this case, making a podcast. We are. Yeah. Same thing. It's dinner. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's food for the soul. Food for the <laughs> food for the soul is right. Food for the theatrical soul. Ah. Uh, is how we like to say that. Yes. Is is important. I don't know what accent I was about to do. Well, there, I don't so. know, but it was. Uh, it might have been a new one. Yeah. It definitely. I've got a. I need <laughs> the script in my hand. So can I get can I get Dan down here with the script? <laughs> just, and I'll know just exactly old what script to say. Just saying it, yeah. yeah. Bring the cue cards a little closer. Um, you might be able to tell we are inside... An actual theater. The An actual theater. We are inside the Elaine Wolf Theater. We're on the stage. This is hopefully going to be the home of the Ghost Lights podcast in the future. We wanted to make sure that we christened it correctly, but it is very nice to be back inside of a building and yeah. within six feet of each other without a mask on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Being, yeah, being in a theater... Um, you know, where there are people doing theater related things. Yeah. Is pretty is pretty cool. Yeah. They're yeah. teching, they're 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 running lines. Yeah. They're yeah. I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute, but they're they're doing all the things. Yeah. They're they're auditioning, they're they're writing, they're singing, they're dancing, they're they're moving around, they're yeah, it's yeah. it's uh yeah, it's very cool. It's unadulterated. We're 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 back. We are back. Yeah. Yes. Thank goodness thank goodness for getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yay science, huh? What yes, about that? Exactly. Well, let's uh, dive kind of right into this. Yeah. What, what is new about this general manager, that, this role that you're taking on? Well, I mean, well, okay, so for, for the MISEL, one of the things over the pandemic that, the, that you know, Denver JCC did was do a lot of reorganization in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of the listeners and viewers would certainly recognize Steve Wilson yes. from this role. Um, that he was in for many, many years, 
as uh, as the uh, executive artistic director of the Meisel. Um, when they did some reorganization, they the the leadership here and the board um, felt that it was a good match to take the Meisel Arts and Culture Center, um, you know, which is its own nonprofit functioning within the JCC's nonprofit. So it's sort of a business within a business. Um, but they felt like there were some opportunities to make some cross-organizational programming and communication stronger. Mm -hmm. And so they brought the engagement programs into this team. So now we're arts, culture, community, and engagement. So that means that our team not only is responsible for programming in our theaters and around the arts and culture side, mm -hmm but also the JCC's family engagement programs. So, and those go from prenatal to older adult senior citizen programming. So our team is, is tasked with um, brainstorming and coming up with those things to be able to serve the community in a huge way with arts and culture being a centerpiece of that. Yeah. So now we have everything from uh, Denver Jewish Film Festival, Jam Fest, Real Abilities Film Festival and other programming in places like the Wolf Theater, um, to Wolf Theater Academy, uh, to our partnership with with resident theater companies like Cherry Creek Theater, mm -hmm. um, but also things like Jewish Baby University, things like ultimately um, probably some uh, team sports will come into this, um, arts, uh, other arts programming, mm -hmm. um, our ceramic studio we're getting back up and running, nice. um, art academy for kids and adults. So it really is and it. Uh, uh, a, sort of a lifespan engagement mm -hmm. um, with the JCC that we're trying to do. So my role is really, to, to, <laughs> I think, to pretty much get out of the way of a lot of really amazing people on the team mm -hmm. and help facilitate some amazing things that they have in mind. Um, you know, but the thing that I have in mind and that everybody's kind of galvanized around right away is that uh, this is a beautiful facility. The Wolf is a beautiful facility. We also have the Plus Theater next door, which is a terrific black box. Mm -hmm. um, there are amazing spaces around this entire around this entire building, and I think a lot of people in the community at large don't really know that we're here. Mm -hmm. And so, a big part of what we're trying to do is dream up how we make this place a really vibrant, busy, innovative, creative space for all kinds of things. Mm -hmm theater things, dance things, film things, family things, uh, music things, art things, sculpture things, all of those around arts and culture. My belief um, is, has always been that these things all connect. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things that I, uh, I certainly brought to the interview process when I was speaking with people here, um, you know, from the staff level all the way up to people who are making those decisions and Say so that you know when they say, well, you know, we're we're pulling in this engagement piece, and what do you think about that? I said, well, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. It's all it's all holistic, cohesive engagement about how we bring people onto this campus, how we bring this campus's work out into the community, and how we open the doors and make sure that everybody feels welcome. And that's right in line with the JCC's mission, and mm -hmm. it's right in line with the Meisel's mission. Yeah, I it, it sounds um, vaguely familiar to the stuff that I was being taught when I was working for the YMCA um, when I was younger always talking about we would always have like specific pockets of people that were coming in to utilize the space for one thing mm -hmm. and then when they were introduced to 
the other things that we offered, like that was a big push of ours. Is like, well, I know you're only coming in here for swimming, but do you know about the yoga classes that we offer for free? And then all of a sudden they start, they, little by little they do more and more and more. Is that similar? That's exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and I think using the why as a model for people to, to get, I think is exactly right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it really is. And, and that's, I think, and you bring up a really great point, which is, you know, what is the hook? Mm. So somebody might come in here for, you know, a film for Denver Jewish Film Festival, um, but they might also run across, you know, something else. We, we, we want, I, I know that the, the, the mission right now is to make the JCC a community center for everyone mm-hmm. where you can have touch points. I mean, we've got a great fitness center. We've got a terrific indoor tennis center. There's the arts and culture piece. There's the family engagement piece, early learning services, camps. I mean, you know, it's all here. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's been really cool, I will, I will tell you, I will have you know, I cannot wait. Is that um, coming out of the pandemic, the timing is really good for this, mm. and um, there is so much buzz around, you know, current folks that do engage with the JCC in the, in the community that's been supportive of this organization historically, but also I think in the, in the community at large, um, there is great, enormous untapped potential. Um, and there's a, there's a great appetite for re- reaching those people. And this is the time to do it because um, mm-hmm. everything's starting back up. And as a new team, we're starting back up with the benefit of having the uh, being able to lean on the wisdom of the institutional knowledge and memory, mm-hmm. uh, i.e., this is the way we've always done it, but also draw upon that without being burdened by it and be able to say, well, this is how we can do it now. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great opportunity. And there are so many new people around here from the boardroom all the way down you know, to, to, to people like me and, and so many new staff people. And, and so it's a really cool time to be incubating and launching a lot of these ideas, yeah. which is what we're doing. Absolutely. What are some of the things that uh, people who have been mainstays at the JCC will look at and see as something familiar that you're trying to keep going here? Yeah, I mean, I think from certainly from the Meisel perspective, a lot of that revolves around festivals. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the fall, we have uh, what's called the Jam Festival, um, and, you know, so the Jam Festival, we're in the middle, fast and furiously planning that. that Great involves, franchise. Huh? Great franchise. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Great, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, <laughs> you know, Jewish artists, authors, music, and movies. And so we're in the process of planning all that right now. That'll uh, launch in October and go through mid-December. And that's a series of 20, 25 different events. Some of those are revolve around books um, through the Jewish Book Council. And so we'll bring in, as we have traditionally done, bring in a lot of authors around those to do uh, presentations, whether those are in person or hybrid, uh, virtual. We'll have some of each. Um, uh, You know, so there are book talks, presentations, workshops around books, uh, things like that, where people can come meet the author, buy the book, interface with that person. Mm -hmm. Um, A whole series of films that we're in the process of of planning around the Jam Fest. Um, And uh, some, some really cool comedy things. Jackie Tone is coming to visit us, and uh, if the name sounds familiar, it should, because you've seen her in Glow. She's a wonderful stand-up uh, comedian. So she'll be here to do a comedy show, which nice. we're really, really looking forward to. That's great. Um, 
you know, we have our, our annual Holocaust lecture that we partner with DU, uh, mm -hmm. Center for Judaic Studies, um, that we're working on as well. Um, and uh, our, our headliner author is, um, is a fantastic writer named Colin McCann. And Colin McCann is actually Irish-born, mm. um, which, I, you know, as, yeah. as you know me, I never find that to be a problem. No, not yeah? at all. Um, uh, but Colin McCann will be here to talk about his book, A Paragon, and uh, which has been uh, receiving tremendous, well-deserved praise um, and awards all over the world uh, for its study of two fathers, both of whom have lost children in the conflict, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Oh, wow. Um, and what an a paragon is, is it's a viewable uh, shape of infinite number of sides. And so the novel explores, in a linear sense, these two fathers on a given day, mm -hmm. but it goes into all these other different aspects of, of what happened. So he'll be here to discuss that book, and that's a, that's a huge thing for us. Uh, when did have. that book get released? It's the, uh, very timely. Last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think, pretty sure it's got a 2020 copyright. Nice. Um, so we're very lucky. And I also have to say, right, you know, right now, uh, on the off chance that she might be listening, Amy Weiner Weiss, who was the director of festivals and so much more here, um, left the Maisel last month um, uh, to go on to new things. And she built these festivals uh, over the last five years so, so well. Yeah. Um, so between Jam Festival and also Denver Jewish Film Festival, mm -hmm. which is in the spring, early spring, um, uh, that we're also in the process of selecting films for that. And then now the Real Abilities Film Festival, um, which celebrates differently abled people and, and films around that, those themes. Um, you know, she did such a great job of developing and curating those festivals, and we're trying to just fill those big shoes. Mm -hmm. But she was also really, really gracious and helped us just suck as much stuff as we possibly could out of her brain mm -hmm. before she left. Um, so a lot of this stuff was already put in place by Amy mm -hmm. before she left, and um, we're just kind of going to reap the benefits of it. But um, we're also doing some other, you know, different things with with jam we we want to have we want to have a more kind of focused kickoff mm -hmm. event so we're looking at some other uh, different kinds of comedy avenues that uh, that we might be able to bring in to really have a celebration to to launch the launch the festival nice. um and um so yeah beyond that of course i just said you know we're we're working on denver jewish film and you know for me it's it's really it's fascinating one of the things that's great about this job is that i'm able to dive into a world that I've only ever just tapped into. Um, you know, as a, as a kid who was raised New York Irish Catholic, but who's been welcomed into this community, I am so fascinated uh, and hungry for all the material that I'm getting as I learn more about the Jewish community, about uh, Jewish-focused film, literature, drama, I mean, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. You know, and growing up in Brooklyn, I was always surrounded by a Jewish community, mm -hmm. uh, especially like literally where we grew up in Flatbush. We were the Irish family on a, in a very Jewish neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I, I've always been, you know, in touch with the Jewish community. But being able to sit and watch, you know, hours and hours and hours of film submissions for DJFF is awesome. I mean, is, somebody's paying me to do that. Mm -hmm. and, and I get a chance to, to see these films and see what these artists are doing read the books and uh, it's it's just been really amazing and I think that's one of the things that I that I really keep coming back to about there there is so much potential for 
this community of the JCC and of MISL mm -hmm. to interface more significantly with the arts and culture community as a whole mm -hmm. um, because the themes are always the same. You know, that's, that's the thing. The, yeah. the, the themes here are always of inclusivity and, um, and, and, and taking care of one another, being creative, being, in, you know, all those things are, are completely common themes. Um, and so th there's just a huge amount of, uh, of opportunity for us to explore those. Absolutely. That's, that's really cool to hear. Um, are you at liberty to kind of discuss some of the, the new projects, the outside of the box things you're hoping to bring to the table? Well, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, if uh, not, I mean, I'm going to have to kill you. Oh. Well, then we, let's Rubik's cube, and uh, I'll ask you about. No, uh, that's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and these are you, so you got to understand. You, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been on the job now uh, about two weeks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a chance to to spend a good bit of time with the team in June. Um, you know, primarily via Zoom calls and stuff, just to try to get up to speed, so I didn't hit the ground with knowing nothing. Mm -hmm. Everybody was really good about about that, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the overall vision is getting people in this building having amazing experiences, mm -hmm. and so whatever we can do to make that happen is great. Nice. Um, you know, we're kicking around ideas of around you know being able to show live sports for example, in this space. Mm -hmm. um, and how cool would that be uh, for, for free events for the entire community, be able to come in here and watch a Bronco game, you know, with 400 people, mm -hmm. um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I think just broadening our scope beyond being purely festival focused. Mm -hmm. When we've got these three great festivals that are the, that are the uh, you know, signature bits of our programming here yes. and what we present. And those aren't going to go anywhere. We're just going to keep strengthening those. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I think there is a lot of room for presenting um, different types of things, whether those are concerts, whether those are uh, other films, whether those are live theater events, whether those are comedy things, whether those are public interest and civic engagement things. Um, you know, and that's the civic engagement piece is, is something that I'm, I'm particularly passionate about because I think that community centers and theaters are and and should be and can be places where people to where people can go and engage civically with one another around events of public importance through constructive discourse mm. um i mean especially these days yeah. when there's so little of that mm -hmm. um but you know not to not to geek out too much on the theater historian with within me or the professor guy within me but you know one of the reasons that the Greeks built their amphitheaters the way they did. One of the reasons that the playwriting and theater festivals were structured the way they were, one of the reasons that the playwrights wrote the stories the way that they did was they were civic lessons. They weren't just simply stories about mythology mm -hmm. and about tragic heroes. They, they expressed and led to discourse around important civic topics. Mm -hmm. In other words, as a Greek, I mean, if you were a Greek that was allowed to go, we know that if you, yeah, yeah. If you were a slave class or a woman, mm. not invited, right? Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if you were Greek, you went to the theater to learn how to be a better Greek. Mm. Um, and, and those were the takeaways. The lessons there were powerful. Um, you learned what, it, what happened if you transgressed against either natural or man-made law, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so in, in that tradition of 
using the theater as a, as a forum for civic discourse is thousands of years old. And it's not just specific to the Greeks. That happened all over the world. Yeah. But I think that's one of the things that these days we lack a little bit. And I still also think that coming out of a pandemic, people will hopefully remember how much they need one another in person. Not just because, you know, at Wendy's where I now I can go in and see the guy across the counter mm -hmm. when I'm ordering my number two, you know, large sized with a lemonade. But the fact that we need each other in person in situations like this where we can come together in a communal shared experience that is significant and important and leads to conversation, mm -hmm. in-person conversation around important topics. Um, so not to get too much on the bandwagon, you know, on the, on the soapbox about that. But I really believe in, in gathering spaces and their ability to do that. And, you know, a few years ago, and you visited there, you were, you were there in, uh, in Vermont, when, when I was up there working at Castleton University, mm -hmm. we partnered with the Paramount Theater, um, where you got to perform mm -hmm. as part of Bengal Tiger. And we came up with an entire 25 event series that led up to the election of 2016, all of which had to do with the nexus of arts and culture, entertainment, and civic engagement. Mm. And we had events, you know, we would show the debates on the big screen. We had uh, very famous pundits pop up from New York to talk through those things. People from New York Times, people from NBC, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, you know, amazing people like that. Mm -hmm. uh, David Sanger from The Times. We had... Uh, James Carville and Mary Madeline come argue on stage about politics. And, That's entertainment. But we'd right also there. have things like the U.S. Navy Band. Mm -hmm. We also had things like the Reduced Shakespeare Company come do the Complete History of America Abridged 2016 edition, right? <laughs> so, and, and all of those events were free. Yeah. Every single event. You just walk in. And we had so many people come into the theater that would not have otherwise come into the theater. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's my goal. I want to say... like. So you don't think, so, you're out there, you don't think there's anything for you in the theater, huh? I bet there is, at least in this theater, there will be. Yeah. Because if there's nothing for you here, there's nothing for you, because there's going to be everything here. Yeah, that's, that's great that you're looking at putting out this smorgasbord of opportunity to connect, not only on an artistic level, but on a community level. And seeing this place as, you know, a beacon for the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and look, for better or for worse, and I would say, obviously, for worse, from my perspective, mm. there are a lot of people out there that don't think that the arts have anything for them. You know, there, there are a lot of people, I, I'm always struck by the amount of people I run into, either in person or, you know, through hearsay, that say that things like, I don't like music. Like, huh. what do you mean? Like, or I don't yeah. like art. Yeah. Um, okay. Or, sure. Well, I, I bet you do. Mm -hmm. Um you know, or, or there are so many people. Well, I don't want. To, I don't. I, I don't like the theater. I don't like plays. Well, okay. Well, I mean, that's that's a generalization. I feel like if you've seen a hundred plays in your lifetime, at various levels, from kindergarten plays all the way up to Tony Award-winning Broadway musicals, National Theater of London, um, uh, if you've seen all that, uh, and you've seen a hundred of them, then you can come to me and say, you know what? I've seen a hundred plays. I just don't think I like plays. But the vast majority of the people who say I don't like the theater. Mm -hmm have been to theater that is, with all due respect, probably underwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so, for whatever reason, maybe it's, you know, they, they, they don't like something that's hugely produced, or maybe they don't like, they don't feel like they like musicals, or they don't feel like they get it, or they don't feel like they identify with the characters, or they think it's too she-she, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I think that those are the people that in my entire career that I've always wanted to reach. Hmm. I, I, I want to reach the, the guy who's out there who's, who's just like, no, man, I don't want to go see no play. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't bring me in to see no play. I don't want to see no play. I want to sit here and watch a game. Because yeah. I got a message for that guy. I want to watch a game too, dude. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, I just, I'm just as happy watching a game as a play any day. But there's room for both. And you might think that you know what to expect when you come into the theater, mm-hmm. but maybe not. You know, there's probably something for you here. Yeah. And those are the kind of people that I want to reach, that I've always wanted to reach. Um, and when you reach those folks and you get them in for whatever it is, whether it's, you know, the the uh, the presidential debate or election night, mm-hmm. whether you get them in for uh, a rock show, whether you get them in for a comedy thing, whether you get them in for Shakespeare, whether you get them in for a, a lecture, whether you get them in for a workshop, w- whatever. Somewhere along that continuum or in that, you know, along that spectrum of things that we would broadly define as arts and culture pieces, there's something for that guy. Yeah. There's something for that guy here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up to us to present a menu to that guy that mm-hmm. says, all right, so you don't like sushi. Yeah. That's fine. But you know what we also have? We also have really good burgers. I mean, and I think to simplify that that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Well, I think, too, one of the things that I hear that you're describing is like, all right, I'm going to be able to connect with you on this one thing just to get you in the door. Mm -hmm. And then through that relationship, common ground that we share, it, it can grow. And now you start to feel like it's not just about the event that I'm going to see. I really like hanging out with Rich at these things. What is Rich doing more often? Yeah. Oh, snap. There's, you know, this musical opportunity or this yeah. this concert that you're talking about. There's there's more that we can do together and the friendship grows outside of we'll say just one person for the sake of this metaphor, but then to the to the community at large around them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. Because mm-hmm. when you look at a space like this, which seats four hundred people, mm-hmm. You know, that's every single time you fill it up, that's hundreds and hundreds of opportunities for people to sit next to people they've never met before and make a connection. Mm-hmm. And and who knows what that means? Yeah. But, you know, again, going back to something that's a little bit more, I suppose, esoteric or idealistic, coming out of a, of a year and a half where we couldn't connect with one another. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't know about anybody who's listening or watching, but I'm about zoomed out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I was like, um, I'm glad we can do that now. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that's become normalized. But I tell you what, every time I see a Zoom invitation or an invitation on Microsoft Teams, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. Well, you know, we there's something that is irreplaceable about gathering in spaces and having a shared experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the great thing about it is that everybody's experience is going to be a little different, but it's great to be able to put people in the same spot, yeah. face them in the same direction, and show them something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the other part of that is that, it, with speaking of that kind of thing, we also don't just want to do that. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a very, I think, outdated mode of thinking about arts and culture where, okay, you guys come in, buy a ticket, sit down in the dark, shut up, it's okay to laugh, it's okay to clap, but you all need to point your faces in the same direction and we're gonna open the curtain and we're gonna show you something 
and then we're going to close the curtain, and it's going to be done. So, you know, that's a very unidirectional way of thinking about performance and presentation, um, you know, where we're just sort of like, we're doing something at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? we're, doing, we're, doing this, we're going to do this musical at you. We're going to do this Shakespeare piece at you. Um, I think that, again, we have opportunities now thinking really, really broadly about this stuff in the 21st century with technology and with an entire generation of content creators now taking the forefront in the world economy, digitally and otherwise, Mm -hmm. we're getting audiences for whom that model is not sufficient any longer, right? It, It, it's, we want, we sit here like, okay, I'm as Gen X as they come. Okay. I mean, I am like the poster child for Gen X. Born in 1970, teenager in the 80s, college in the 90s, right? I mean, I am Gen X all over. Mm-hmm. And so I've always thought of, of my generation as being a transitional one because we're the first ones that had a Walkman, right? Mm-hmm. We're the first ones that had Atari and, you know, SNES, right? Um, we're the first ones that had personal computers. And so we can kind of speak old school and new school. And I'm here to tell the old school that the new school comes in and they don't want to just sit in a dark room and look at something. Mm -hmm. They want to engage with it. They want to be part of it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're working towards eventually here, and I think hopefully other venues and, and centers like ours are also doing, is really thinking about the arts and culture uh, presentation dynamic evolving into a much more participatory, inclusive, interactive space. Mm-hmm. Um, Meow Wolf is a great example. Um, you know, I just got back from Vegas and took in their their new work, well, Megamart in Vegas, and this is not a commercial for Meow Wolf, but you should go. Um, and it's, you know, people say, well, what, what is that? It's an, it's an art installation, right? I'm like, yeah, in, in the same way that you'd say, it, you know, that the Empire State Building is, a, you know, is, mm. like, yeah, that's a structure, right? Yeah. It's, it's so much more than that. It is an art installation, series of art installations, but it's also so immersive that it's a world, mm. right? And when I was walking through there and crawling through there and sliding through there and, you know, all of those things mm-hmm. that we spent like five hours in this place. Um, there's a whole backstory. There's, there are th- things to be discovered. There are just pieces of art to be marveled at. There are interactive pieces of art that allow you to be a sonic architect. I mean, there's all this stuff mm-hmm. going on um, that is just completely overwhelming. You could spend days in there and not get to the bottom of it. But I kept thinking in a way, and this is not to you know belittle their work at all, but in a certain way, I have to think that people that are a little bit younger than me and, and, and people that are my age think a bit in the same way that you would think of as an open world video game. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. Remember like the first open world video game you played on PS3 or PS4 mm. it, and all of a sudden Skyrim, great yeah. example, right? Yeah. So a Oblivion. game like Skyrim, mm. you, you pop in, it gives you a little bit of context, a little bit of background, and then it basically says go. Yeah. And then you just explore and things... You avail yourself of things and you're interacting with things mm-hmm. and this and depending on which way you go, it changes your experience. I mean, 
that is the way that people have grown up now. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, if you grow up in these worlds where you're able to completely interact with artificial intelligence, with uh, non-player characters, if the choices you make change the experience and change the, 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 the context of the entire game, then I think a lot of times just going someplace and having something just sort of shown at you is a little bit unsatisfactory. Yeah. Which is not to say that all of a sudden we need to take every production of South Pacific or Sweeney Todd and somehow make it interactive. That's not, that's not it. But I think there is a growing piece of what we need to be thinking about is how, because we're, you know, we're always complaining that young people never come. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Our audience is, is growing old. And, the, you know, and unfortunately, they, eventually they have a hard time coming. They can't come anymore. And they pass away. How do we build a younger audience? How do we, but we, we keep doing the same thing mm-hmm. in the same way, but asking why younger people don't come. No. What we need to do is say, hey, <laughs> what, is the, what is the younger person's experience of art? Yeah. And what do they have to say to us as a marketplace about what we can provide and how we need to provide it. Absolutely. No, I think it's a I think that's a great example. I mean, life in and of itself is a first person role playing game. Yeah. And that is I've definitely seen the shift in I mean, I'm I'm a I fancy myself a a novice gamer and uh the change, the shift in material from like these you know, crowd shooter games to these expansive open world things really mirrors a lot of the fun things that are happening more and more in the arts. I mean, the things that I've seen that have been popular in Denver, the Denver Center did with like Sweet and Lucky and the growth through that. And the, right. my, my experience with the Catamounts and their, their, their production of Roush, these things where they bring you into these into these environments yeah. and involve things like food, mm-hmm. right, and, 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 and whatever. And yeah. you just have a much, a, f- a much more full kind of experience. Exactly. I think the key that you just hit on there is the experience piece. It's so much of us, like, we can go out and see a show. We can sit down and put on a movie anytime we want. We can't always create an experience for ourselves. Right. And turning opportunities or things within a traditional theatrical space and, and l- working at cultivating how we make this more of an experience for the audience is, I mean, that's what people are craving. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, this is a generation of content creators, mm-hmm. right? So. Great point. Yeah. They, they don't want to just receive content. Mm-hmm. They want to create content. Yeah. This is, a, this is a generation of people for whom, you know, I remember when I was like 13, 14, my friend Scott got a video camera. Now, this is 1983, 1984. So the video camera was, of course, this huge VHS, you know, video camera that had a battery the size of, you know, like a bowling ball on it, you know, that, that would still only last for about 30 minutes. And, you know, and we'd schlep that thing around all over town making movies that we couldn't edit. You know, like we'd have to figure out a way to shoot these movies more or less in sequence or whatever. Like we, we had no capability whatsoever, but we wanted to make movies, man. So we made a lot of movies that were just horrific. And we, even at the time, we knew they were horrific, 
but we didn't have a film studio. We didn't have access to audio tools. We didn't have access to editing tools. We certainly didn't have access to SFX tools or CGI tools. I mean, no. no. Whereas now, you have all those tools on your phone. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, as, and, and I'm a guy with four kids, 23, 16, 13, and 8. And every single one of those engages with technology in that way, in some sort of meaningful way, mm -hmm. creating content. So, you know, Finn, my eight-year-old. Yeah. So Mr. Finn is out there with the phone making TikToks. He's got a TikTok account that, of course, we have protected. But see, he still has, I don't know how many followers Finn has on TikTok, TikTok, a slew of them. Because he makes these ridiculously funny videos where he uses filters and his particularly twisted sense of humor to make all these videos, right? And whether he's playing the drums or whether he's like doing something with the dogs or, or whatever, you know, so a kid like that, it's hard when that's been the reality in which he has been raised, in which the environment in which he has been socialized, yeah. then, you know, we wonder, well, why can't these kids sit still? Well, I mean, there it is, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do we engage the eight-year-old? How do we engage the 13-year-old and the 16-year-old and the 23-year-old, everybody in between and everybody beyond in such a way that is a meaningful experience to them. Mm. And that's, you know, I think there are organizations out there that, that are cracking that code. Mm -hmm. We want to be in that conversation too. Absolutely. I want to, I want to steer us in a different direction. I think we're, we're, we're kind of scratching on the surface here. Um, last week I was working in the audition intensive and now mm -hmm. you're doing a musical intensive here right now with um, some youth that have been coming through the JCC for some time. Yeah. Um, what are kind of the things that you, you, you love about, teaching theater the arts and uh where do you kind of want to take that here well i mean you know that's a that's a really good question I, last week when you first started the audition class mm -hmm. and you were gracious enough to ask me to come in and do a little bit of chunk of that the first day i have to tell you in all honesty that it was the first time i had taught or directed anything you know in person since before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. and I mean, really, the last thing I did was direct Hunchback of Notre Dame at Candlelight. Mm -hmm. And that was 2019. Um, so it had been a long time. And it was really fascinating because the first thing that happened to my little brain mm -hmm. was it went, oh, yeah, that's right. You're, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. You know? Because mm -hmm. like, I've, I've, been, I've been teaching and directing in the theater for a long time. Um, like 30 years that's very strange but it's like that wow since you were seven huh yeah since i was since slightly before i was born mm -hmm. um <laughs> and uh but it just it was it for me it just was it just it just hit i was mm -hmm. like that's what i love to do the most um by far um and so that has been great first of all for me just personally just being able to like we said get back in here with people and do the thing yeah. it's, it's just really great but you know, as a as a teacher, I've always felt like that my number one agenda item is preaching the gospel of the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I love to teach theater appreciation class to a to a, a lecture hall filled with a hundred people, all of whom are there under duress because they needed it for their general eds, and it was the only thing available. Right? Yeah. Give me that class every mm -hmm. time. Because I'm going to convert 75% of those people over the semester. 
because that's what I love to do because I believe in this thing. Mm -hmm. I believe in the power of this thing to change people's lives, to make people's lives better. Um, and so everything that I do as a teacher, whether that is with college students, whether it's directing professionals, whether it's working with, with high school kids or even little kids, everything that I do centers around that one thing. It always has to be, it, it should never be assumed that this thing is cool and special. We have to say that out loud. Mm -hmm. This thing is cool and special. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's, it's amazing. And here's why. Um, and so just getting a chance to work with these kids over the last couple of weeks, wh who, by the way, every single kid in the music theater class was in the auditions class. Mm -hmm. And that's been a really fun piece of continuity to observe because now they know how to work with each other. You know, we have seventh grade all the way up through senior in high school in there. And they are one unit. They are supportive of each other. They're willing to take chances and risks. It's very, very cool. A lot of that came out of the work from last week. But, you know, just getting a chance to work with them, I always try to tie as – I always try to make as many connections as possible without overwhelming people. But some of those things, I mean, I, you know, many of the best pieces of advice that I got back in the day – were um, things that either didn't make sense, I didn't understand, or sometimes I rejected because, you know, I was young and I knew everything. And they didn't come, they didn't bloom until years later. Mm -hmm. um, so you're planting seeds, uh, but you're also making connections. And connections between, like, a theater exercise and the show we're doing. Um, you know, for last week, we did some exercises, mm -hmm. very simple things, but then bringing that back to say, to ask a question, what does this have to do with auditioning? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with auditioning. Making those connections, or even better, creating or facilitating the environment where people can make those connections for themselves. Where then they, and I, that's why I love working with this age group, because mm -hmm. they're developmentally primed for that, where they're just like, oh, that does connect. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes, I don't, think that, I don't think that connects. It's okay, just put it in here. Just mm -hmm. put it in the back of your head for a while. Mm -hmm. Forget about it. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it'll bubble back up later on. Absolutely. So, you know, making those connections, making it relevant, and then also one of the things that I always do is, especially with, with young people, and this also goes through people in college, you know, most of these people are not going to be professional artists or actors or theater people. Most of them are going to do just, it, not because they're not talented, mm -hmm. they are, it's just most of them are gonna, statistically are going to opt for other things. Mm -hmm. You know, fine. In the same way that you take the kids from 4-H and not everyone's going to end up being in some sort of agricultural field, right? Mm -hmm. So knowing that, then part of this is also equipping them with understanding how important the theater is and training in the theater is to life skill. Yeah. Because... I mean, we could we could spend fifty podcasts on this, but I'm down. I need the content. That's right. And now we're at Ghost Lights <laughs> Podcast seven hundred and seventy-seven. <laughs> um, we've had rich counted on for the last decade. We're very old men, um, <laughs> and we're out of whiskey. Um, you know, <laughs> someone help. But making those connections between what what we're doing here in life, mm -hmm. you know, things like teamwork, things like uh, you know, because. What does everybody hate in school? Group projects. Mm -hmm. What is the theater? A group project, right? So things like that. 
but also things like brain research. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I, I, I do that sort of research, and I bring in things specifically because theater and the arts are so great at brain development mm. at all ages. Yeah. And saying, okay, so we're developing these parts of your brain, but also things like listening, mm -hmm. things like saying yes uh, when somebody presents you an offer um, instead of saying, no, I don't want to do that. Let's go on an adventure. Sure, let's go on an adventure, yeah. as long as it's safe and nobody's going to get hurt, mm -hmm. right? But those kind of things, those are lessons that people will learn um, you know, th in, in theatrical training. But I find that those lessons are even better when you pull them out and say, this is, this is a thing, right? So you know, one of the reasons we did this, because you may or may not ever take another theater class in your life, but in this process, you did learn to listen better. You did learn to empathize better. You did learn to take other perspectives. You did learn hard skills, like memorizing things, public speaking, mm -hmm. you know, just basic things like that that we can all use that all help to, to create better, more well-rounded, more fulfilled adults, yeah. but all the way through their lifespan, you know? And so that's how I, I teach from those perspectives. Nice. One of the things, too, I feel like is really cool about just working with this particular age range and like I always as a teacher outside of this working in the Denver public school system there's always this uh this fight for their attention yeah and we don't necessarily know the right ways to get them to do it and it's one of the reasons why I feel like not only is certain forms of art presentation outmoded but the way we educate people in general is outmoded the, from pulling them out of a lecture style Every time I gave notes last week, that's when I lost the most eyes. Yep. Whenever they were up on their feet and actually doing something, even if they had the script in their hands, I always had them engaged. Even the kids that, you know, developmentally and physically had a lot more energy that they needed to burn and 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 utilize at their 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 bodies, they would pay attention in those moments more so would than when I just had them sit down in the dark and write down what they needed to work on. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the way we were taught, right? Mm -hmm. Just we're gonna crack your head open, pour a bunch of knowledge in, and, and, then, and then put it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing with this dynamic, with, with, with this same group, because we're building our own musical review. Yeah. Um, you know, we have seven performers, and we didn't know, because of so many things, uncertain things, around here and in the world at large, if we were gonna be able to have any version of the Wolf Theater Academy this summer. Um, so fortunately, our friend Dan, who's up there running the board, hello, Dan Rib, oh, yeah. and 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 you and some of the some other people said, you know, let's do something. Yeah, we're not going to probably have a forty-person musical this summer, but we can do something. Yeah. Um, and so the big question was, what is that thing? And the auditions class came out of that, and so did this modified music theater class. We said, well, you know what? We're going to take whoever signs up, and we're going to we're going to create develop, write, and present our own musical review, which is what we're doing. So we're using existing musical repertoire um, as songs from all kinds of musicals mm -hmm. and all kinds of places, but the, the storyline we're creating as we go. Mm. Um, you know, and it's, it's about, and we're wrapping it around this idea of being true to your identity and also emerging from a dark time, mm -hmm. right? So what happens in this show that we're creating is seven young people find themselves in a theater. They don't know each other. They don't know why they're there. And they discover they're not able to leave. 
And over the course of the, of the hour, hour and a half of the show, they discover that what they have to do to leave is to engage in some degree of expression of the person that they are that may not always be the person they present. Hmm. So it's about owning your identity, standing up, letting your freak flag fly, whatever, hmm. just expressing this part of you that is something that you don't usually get to express. And when they figure out that they can do that, they do that through music. Yeah. They do that through movement, right? And then eventually they're able to go because they've found the key. The key to get out is, is that, right? Mm -hmm. Is making something, is creating something, is expressing something. Yeah. But what's interesting is that that process requires us to sit around and have a lot of discussions at the table in addition to singing and dancing because we, there's no script. Like we're making it up as we go. But you're right. I have had to be very adaptable because after about 45 minutes of that, then, and they're, these guys are, they're super engaged. These, yeah. these kids are amazing. Oh, you yeah. know they are. Yeah. But even them, hardcore, they're all about it. Mm -hmm. 45 minutes in or something like that, then it's, mm. we're starting to, you know, so yep. we've got to change, change the station. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. That's 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 a good thing, yeah. and it's a good thing for me as a director or a teacher because then I go, "Yep, I need mm. to change the station. Probably time to change the station. Yeah. Let's change the station." Absolutely. Yeah, we got to do a lot of changing the way we think, and about not just about how we get prepared to create something, how we create it, how we talk to people about it, mm -hmm. and in something like this, we have to change the way we think about what a director slash teacher is actually responsible for. Yeah. And I think what it is, is a facilitator of an experience. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about this, you know, creating something from scratch, is that none of us know where it's going to go. Yeah. We're, we're going to know by the end of the week. It's a two-week process. We'll have, a, we'll have a performance at the end of next week. You know, but we'll know by the end of this week basically what the structure of this show is. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have stuff to work on next week. But it's a really great journey because we're all taking that journey together. I mean, I have some things that I have set up as basic parameters or basic you know constructs of this so we're not just all over the place because we don't have that much time mm -hmm. but beyond that it's me and those seven people and also Blake Nawa and Terrell Davis who are doing music direction and choreography mm -hmm. respectively just kind of sitting around going okay what if mm -hmm. and that's really the thing that's fun and the, the, I think those are the two most powerful words in the English language what if what if we did this? What if we did that instead of we can't, we can't, we can't? Mm. So, I mean, we're, I, I think it's really cool. But it is, you know, again, for me, it's, uh, it's a fantastic reentry. Mm. It's, it's intense. You know, I mean, I've been, I, I'm like so many people out there. I, I hadn't put on a pair of pants in a year. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wear, I wear, I am a middle-aged dad dude. Yeah. I wear camo cargo shorts this is what i wear yeah, this we can is still all see I you wear. though yeah yeah that's well, yeah you can still see me yeah you actually probably see the shorts better than you can see the legs because the <laughs> legs are just transparent white. Oh, well. um but yeah but you know it's though so it's just been a big adjustment mm. it's like zero to 60 because yeah. i was working from home and i was working very independently and um you know i left a really good team at colorado conservatory of dance um people whom i love dearly for a different kind of challenge, because I knew that I needed, I, I needed to ratchet up the intensity. Yeah, and 
yes, sir. That yeah. is what I have done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that we're talking about here seems like we're just dipping a toe into the uh, the, the JCC waters here. Oh yeah, it's you know it's it's cool. It, um, one of the things that I learned a long time ago about you know gifted kids is that uh, gifted kids sometimes have a really hard time making choices for career paths and things like that because they could do a lot of different things. And they like a lot of different things. Um, but sometimes gifted kids get what they need. And that's like, okay, how about do all of those things at the same time? Um, and I'm, now I'm working with a whole team of gifted kids, mm -hmm. right? Gifted kids here on stage, but also my colleagues, they're all gifted kids. Yeah. And so they're all overachievers. They're all amazing at what they do. So we just had a staff meeting today where we were like, okay, we can't do everything all at once. We want to, we mm. feel compelled to, we put pressure on ourselves to do that because we're achievers, mm. but we can't. So the biggest challenge for us in a lot of ways is not getting everything done. It's not not getting everything done. Like, we, you know, we need, to, we need to pull the reins a little bit yeah. because otherwise we'll, we'll all be burned out in a month because yeah. we're just going hardcore. But yeah. it's so much fun and there's so many different things to do that yeah. we're all about it. Well, I had a, had a conversation with my, my, my production god, Dan Rib, yesterday, talking about time in relationship to what I'm trying to accomplish with the multitudes of content pushing that I'm trying to do and not feeling like I have to get it done in the next month. Right. And having somebody else tell me that is like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I don't have to do that. Yeah. You're right. We can still get it done. There's a way to get that stuff done, but let's do it once the time allows as it becomes available to us to knock it out, as opposed to trying and forcing it. When we do that, it's usually not going to be the most enjoyable experience. Nor is it going to be the best quality, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, and so that's, that's always a consideration. We want to do our best work. So what are the conditions in which we can do our best work? They're not always completely frenetic and fast and frenzied. Yeah. Sometimes they're a little bit, it, sometimes you got to put stuff off that you really want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've got a lot of things you really want to do, you're going to end up putting some stuff off because you can't, like you said, you can't do everything now all yeah. at once. So how do you pick and choose? Yeah. If you you want to make sure that you that you do allow yourself that grace period though because when you are urgently trying to stuff quote unquote a ballot you know of your time that's where you get the most burnt out because yeah. there's a there's that personal resentment that creeps in that I can't get this done why am I even trying mm -hmm. and it's not the quality that I want it this it, is a complete bust when if you just dialed it back in certain places. And focused on the things, as we talked about on the first day of my class last week, things that we, we can, can control. control. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Yes. We are in stereo. Stay together now. Yeah. That's exactly mm. right. You know, and, and uh, you know, I'm very, very fortunate because I've got a great support system mm -hmm. at home. I've got a great life coach who, despite her dubious taste in men, has otherwise really, really great judgment. They like me, though, so. They, they do. They do. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's probably another that's a not yet another episode of the podcast you know well, let me rephrase she tolerates my existence well mm -hmm. yeah now yeah yeah um but you know it, it's great because that i have that 
uh, that uh, that other voice in my ear, the mm-hmm. the voice of my better angels, mm-hmm. <laughs> who you know, says, "Okay, hey cowboy, slow down. Like you're gonna get it all done. Yeah. You don't have to get it all done now. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should sleep more than two hours tonight. You know, um, that'd be good. Yeah, which would be great because mm-hmm. um, I'm not when I when I get something in my head, then you know, like I'm notorious when I'm directing a show." I get completely just in, inundated in that because I'm thinking about every little thing, mm-hmm. um, whether it's measure 37 and are we going to take a vamp there or is, should that be a sash or should that be a belt or how are we going to manage the time because we got to fit in two hours of choreogra- you know, choreography. Yeah. How are we going to move this metal bed? Yeah, what it, yeah, what you like? Why did we ever decide to design that way? Mm-hmm. You know, and and those things they just consume me, but they consume me over six weeks, you know. And the show is open, and I can let them go. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with a job like this for a brain like mine is that the show doesn't open. <laughs> the show never opens. <laughs> You're always in rehearsal. Yes. So I'm having to relearn what that's like, on a sustainable basis, uh-huh. so I can at some point over a 24-hour period let it go for a while. And I know that a lot of people that listen to this podcast, because I know a lot of the people that listen to this podcast yeah. can empathize with that, yeah. you know, because that's tricky where we just go, this is, you know, it, it, it's so important and it's so urgent. Um, but you're not doing yourself any favors if you don't get a rest once in a while, yeah. if you don't stop, stop and smell the flowers, if you don't go have a beer with your friends, mm-hmm. if you don't take your kids to the park, those kind of things. Yeah. You know? But th- those are, for me, just some of the challenges. And I know, based on the nodding and stuff that was kind of going around the staff meeting today, that, that I'm working with people that are like that. So mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about how we have time, like you said. You know, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to make all this happen now. We're going to make a lot happen now yeah. and we're going to make a lot more happen over time, but we have to also take care of each other so that we can remain a team mm-hmm. of people that are healthy and engaged and passionate and people aren't starting to be resentful either of the place that they work or themselves, or they feel like they're, or they racked with guilt and all of these things that as artists that we deal with all the mm-hmm. time, those can't be allowed to, if we want to do all the amazing things we want to do those cannot be allowed to overwhelm us mm-hmm. um before i started transitioning away from the the pod and yo we got to talk about fantasy football. we got to talk about fantasy football i do want to uh, what type of first of all would you like to direct again through this place in your career or? oh very very much so okay. yeah yeah um and i think that's time and place mm-hmm. um you know when i when when there, there are a lot of other things that have to happen first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just as a guy who likes to direct, um, I'd like to direct, you know, elsewhere as well. Yeah. Um, I don't have, you know, I'm not married to any sort of, uh, you know, ego, ego proposition of when that's going to happen or how it's going to happen or with whom or at what level or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I like to do those projects. Um, you know, I mean, the last two shows that I directed were You're in Town at, CSU for the mm. theater department there, and then Hunchback at Candlelight. Mm. Both great projects with great people, completely different kind of projects, um, and I loved them both. Um, you know, and directing things like Bengal Tiger that you and I did together. Mm-hmm. I talked about something completely different. Oh, yeah. You know, cast of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, th- there's definitely that. And one of the things that I also want to explore here. Um, 
that we started to talk about a little bit is, you know, carving out some space for adult programming in terms of theater process and workshop classes. Mm -hmm. You know, because I, I think that there's always a space for that. There's right. always a, a, a place for doing some writing workshops, some doing some acting workshops, whether those are scene study, audition things for adults, um, improvisation, you know, those kind of things. Um, I'd love to get some of those out there too, because I'd love to bring in some more people from the from the Denver and surrounding area theater community to participate in those kind of things. Yeah. Um, you know, again, selfishly, it brings people into the JCC and the Meisel, but selflessly, it's again, that's how we build community, and, yeah. and we need all the community we can get. Absolutely. Um, well, you know where to find me if you need help with any of that. I sure do. Yeah, that's right. Um, now we need to ask a very serious question. Yeah, let's get to something real. Yeah, you've got three minutes here on the clock. Who's the number one overall pick this year for your team? Number one overall pick. Yeah. Well, here's the Dan, thing. Dan, take notes. I mean, here's the thing. Our, in, running RB1s are still going to be at a premium, yeah. right? Especially in our league. Yeah, yeah. PPR, baby. I know. PPR league, RB1s are going to be at a premium. Although, here's the thing. I continue to maintain that the absolute top level of QB1s rival RB1s in terms of their PPR value over time. Mm -hmm. And also, I mean, so, you know, the, the conventional wisdom has always been don't pick a quarterback until the fourth round mm. or the third round, even if it's Patrick Mahomes, uh, who's, who you know is going to light up the scoreboard for yeah. you every week. I'm not, I'm not sure I buy that conventional wisdom these days. I think you think if you're not able to get a McCaffrey um, – you know, if you're not able to get, I, th I think Edwards Alaire is going to start. You know, especially with Le'Veon Bell saying he's never going to play Andy Reid again. <laughs> not that he played much when he was there. Not this because he's washed. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you if you're not able to get one of those ridiculously dual threat thousand thousand guys, mm -hmm. you know, a, a running back who's going to who's going to catch eighty balls, and yeah. um, if you're not able to get one of those guys, I don't think that for me. I'm not going wide receiver automatically because I think the wide receiver crop is deeper than the top QB crop. Yeah. So I would be – and I'm totally giving away my hand here, by the way, in the yeah. in the league. This but I, I would be much more apt – Don't worry, you won't pick first overall. To go for – yeah, I never seem to. No. I'd much more apt to go for a for a QB in that way. Nice. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm going. I don't want necessarily want to say who I've got at the top of my board. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm pretty sure I know who it is. You're yeah. like, you're you're angling for that Drew Locke. You're just throwing up the smoke oh, screen. Oh man, you found me out. Yeah, I did. I did, didn't I? You did. You found yeah, me out. I'm right. angling for Drew Locke. Um, yeah. Probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater in the first two rounds. Smart. So then I'm covered. Yeah. So then <laughs> then I can get eight point six points a, a week out <laughs> yeah. of my quarterback, no matter who it is. Yeah. See, always thinking. Yeah. Always thinking. Yeah, you'll have access to you know the top. You know the top three, um, or should I say, the top number one wide receiver in the third round. Yeah, if you do that. That's oh, smart. there's no question yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I, Julio actually, will be there. I think in the third round, DeAndre. I might even just go for Brett Rippon. That way, I've got them all. <laughs> like no matter what happens with the Broncos quarterback room. Uh, well, no, that's not entirely true because I could have said that last year. Yeah. And yet, then you have the entire Broncos quarterback room that just gets obliterated because yeah. they're all in the same room with yeah. the COVID protocols, and that's where you get Kendall Hinton, which is my way of saying he's my fourth-round pick. Nice. <laughs> we, we, I knew we'd get to him. I was like, <laughs> please say his name because I can't remember. <laughs> that poor guy. We, The Denver Broncos did uh, 
did not necessarily set him up for success like we try to do here at the Basel Arts and Culture No, Center. that's very, very, very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, what I do hope, though, this year is that everybody can have more fun because there's, I mean, it's still, I think the jury is still out on what this whole preseason thing is going to look like with less games, with a 17-week schedule, with reduced training camps. I still wonder about the NFLPA's wisdom on this because I just have to believe that the injuries that we saw last year were directly correlated to the lack of training time, lack mm -hmm. of OTAs, mm -hmm. lack of mandatory camps, shortened training camp, um, yeah. and, a, and a limited preseason. I, nobody wants to see four preseason games any less than I do. Yeah. But if it creates guys that are healthy for the regular season and beyond, then let's play four preseason games. But we're not, so yeah. we'll see. I just, yeah, anything that the NFL does when they consider health and safety protocols of any nature, I'm always like, uh, And then there's CTE. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, my brain is fine. And yep. uh, I'm back. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I just kind of zonk out there it's, on you. Yeah. Yeah. All I, the, I know all the, the feeling. All the blows to the head I've taken on the stage. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually when we get to this point of the podcast, I ask, what is that ghost light you, you wish was left on for you? But in your position here now, I'd ask you, what is that ghost light that you want to leave on for the community you're trying to reach? Like, what is your sales pitch on what they're going to expect, what they can expect here? Um, that's well. That's great. The, I think the sales pitch for what to expect here is um, the, I mean, it's it's sort of it. It's that the doors are open. Mm. You know, um, we're working to get back to full capacity in the spaces. We're working to fill this place with programs and events that are like we said like we said a while ago that there's something for everybody here mm -hmm. um and all of these things are completely contingent upon the people who are doing them and what i would also say in terms of a sales pitch is that there is no better place where people are doing the thing than here um the the, the people here are remarkable mm -hmm. and um and we we just want to make we just we want to facilitate amazing experiences for people Absolutely. that go both directions. Great. Well, Rich, thank you so much for sitting down and having this conversation with me and, and letting me in on your your draft uh, plan, as it as it were. Um, good luck to you with uh, Drew Lock going number one overall. I think it's going to be people are going to be surprised. Yeah, how bad he really is this year. <laughs> <laughs> Eight point six points a game. Yeah, we, that, that we should put that in the spreadsheet. If he if he scores over that, we all have to take a uh, we all have to make a donation to the Denver Actors Fund. But still, my favorite was the draft two years ago, when <laughs> who was it that who was, that always drafts the, exactly the wrong guy? Oh and, man! And 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 drafted Lamar Miller in the second round or yeah. the first round. Might have been the first round. Drafted Lamar Miller and then. Immediately after we make that pick, we look we look up and the, and the ticker says, "Breaking news: Lamar Miller down <laughs> season-ending ACL." It was like seconds after the draft. That pick. was yeah. I've never had it that bad. That was Bradley. It was uh, it was Bradley. Yeah, it? Bradley drafted Lamar Miller. We were with his the the preseason game in which 
Lamar got hurt, was on in the back corner. I was like, yep. Lamar's down on the ground holding hey, his uh, knee. Just so you know, your first round draft. <laughs> oh. And Luke had drafted that, yeah, right? Yeah. So shout out to, to Bradley and Luke, and and really shout out to Andrew Luck and Lamar Miller because we know you're you're listening. Yeah. Um, we we send you all our best. Yeah. Thank, thanks for the tweets and the well wishes, you two. Um, I, I we're the ghost lights. We're we're here for everybody. That's we right. talk about theater. We talk about sports. We talk about nothing. Yeah. Sometimes we just zonk out and just create a whole bunch of dead air because that's content too. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. We're going to sign off now. It's episode 77 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Tell your friends. I'm trying to make experiences here for your ear holes. That's right. Now, Dan, do the damn thing. Thank you.